0: Here I am. Yes. Yes. I feel all right. I'm not alone. And as the sun sets on the bridge,
1: another day passes by.
0: What's happening?
2: What level do you want to start at?
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I don't know where to begin, honestly. It's such a treat being here with you. I mean, a real treat. You know, it's been, Thank you. it's been years that I've been listening to you on the DTFH and immediately upon hearing that you were a student of Trump or I was just overwhelmed with knowing that there are people like this who still hold these stories
2: and know? still alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Key well, point. So far, far out surviving, uh, Chogam Trump and his body. Yeah. Um, yeah. I look forward to every talk that you do with Duncan and then finding out that you're connected with Ragu and on the Be Here Now Network as well. You know, it's just, uh, it's really nice to sit here with you today and to learn so much about you in the process of sitting with you.
2: Well, thank you so much for that warm greeting. Mm. And um, I'm happy to continue to put the thread through the eye of the needle as much as we're able to clarify help people support practice creativity diminish conflict solve global warming right we can do
0: I want to hear a lot of the backstory of what kinds of causes and conditions could lead one to co-direct karma choling why parts of your life would have that moment make sense you know so I definitely want to get yeah. into that but early on, in this research, that your father was a psychiatrist and your mother wrote for Broadway.
2: My mother was a Broadway producer.
0: Producer, okay. And
2: she was the first woman to win a Tony Award on Broadway.
0: Wow, that's quite she was
2: a trailblazer with, without a doubt. Yeah, and my dad was a child. He was a pediatrician, and then he was a child psychiatrist after that.
0: It's so funny that you embodied both of them in ways. I mean, psychiatry, at least as it pertains to Buddhism and the mind and music. Yeah from your mother you know
2: if you think about your parents or anybody thinks about their parents they're, they're gonna be a strangely braided pair usually hopefully a well-braided pair but you know more often than not a strangely or eccentrically braided pair yeah and it's bringing two different kinds of energy together so that's why you know i think that's one of the reasons human beings are never completely settled yeah because our our life stream is a harmonizing of of uh, conflicting elements and I, anyhow i experience life that way which is why i've sort of formulated trying to bridge the gap between the creativity and the spirituality and the livelihood thing which is kind of my my jam you know yeah. creativity spirituality and making a buck that's
0: yeah uh, that's right I like,
2: I like bringing it all onto the plate and then we we talk about all the different elements of, of somebody's life and, and how it's working together
0: i was listening to your record
2: <laughs> oh panda panda yes it's on spotify and etc all the streaming service if somebody wants to hear it but i wrote it during the pandemic what i did was i took my record labels which was one of i had two indie record labels one was called dharma moon yeah and the other was called five points records yeah the last act we signed on five points records was lana del rey
0: oh no way
2: yeah. At so what stage was this
0: then
2: then in her career? Emerging stage. Gotcha. And we produced a record for her, which David Kahn produced, who's oh, Paul nice. McCartney's producer. And then we had the album, and then she got signed to a big label, Polydor. And then, you know, we negotiated out of that contract. Oh, um, gotcha. And then I kind of, the labels went a little bit less active after that because, um, <laughs> you know, do you know this joke? You probably know it, but, cool. you know, how do you make um, $5 million in the record business? How? Start with 10
0: that's that's like my dad used to tell me a joke and it it bothered me when he because he was a musician but he would tell me this joke while i was a father struggling as an emerging composer he said um what's the difference between a pizza and a professional musician
2: Believe it or not, I haven't heard this, which is mind blowing to me that I haven't.
0: But what a is it? Pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> 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 oh my god, that killed me when it was happening because I was like, oh. "Dude, you're the one that put this in my crib." This music. What? Thing. Your father was a musician too. Yeah, that my dad and mom were both songwriters, Warner Chapel songwriters. What? Yeah, my dad had a band in the oh. '70s with my mom and the and Wayne Carpenter and the Idols. Did
2: your father write? A if i were a carpenter no he didn't no, that song.
0: no he didn't <laughs> i love that song especially johnny cash you know, he
2: wrote i am a carpenter right? yeah
0: exactly so i grew up around music but did you have the thing where i'm a musician and this is just what i was born to do early oh, on oh
2: lord you know i've had so many things i feel like when i look at my own resume it's so eclectic yeah and now it's you know i was just 75 yesterday
0: whoa so. happy birthday
2: Thank you. You know, yeah. so it's sort of like a lot of track in the rearview mirror to, to look at. Sure. I would say when I was a kid, I don't think I thought I would be a musician, although I, I played guitar since I was eight years old.
0: Oh, oh wow. But
2: eight. Uh, I went to college thinking I'd be a doctor. Oh, that's okay. You know? because
0: well, that's... I went to
2: Columbia College uh-huh. in, in New York. Okay. I was a pre medical student. And about two years into it, I was playing in bands. I had a band when I was in college with Christopher Guest called Voltaire's Nose.
1: No way. We used, to
2: play, you know, we used to play fraternity parties and stuff like that. So, I was making a little bit of, you know, money as a musician, but I didn't think that it was a viable thing. Yeah. And then I dropped out of pre-med. I ended up as an English major, and then I graduated and I thought, "Now I don't know what I'm going to do." But I had wow. some friends who were young professional musicians, um, uh-huh. and I just I got a I got a job actually playing in a Broadway show. Yeah. That my mother produced.
0: No way.
2: Yeah, and my Uncle Irv was the musical director for it. He was the musician in the family.
0: Oh, nice. And the music
2: was written by John Sebastian. and starred Dustin Hoffman.
0: No way.
2: Yeah, it it was called Jimmy Shine. Out of college, I, I got a gig. Yeah. You know, through some degree of family connections, but, you know, yeah. I had to produce.
0: What and year is that?
2: I graduated 1968.
0: Okay, yeah, I was thinking. John Sebastian, and that's yeah. like him at the You were the probably height. like
2: five years old, right? I
0: was beginning to be an itch in my father's sack. <laughs> I was beginning, <laughs> but I was not until 76.
2: Okay, 76 was a seminal year. That's a good point of descent.
0: When I found yeah. out that Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche visited that year... And yeah. I saw some of the footage and stuff because I've always had this insane uh, connection oh. with him. Oh my God. Maybe he's
2: your real father.
0: Maybe he looks like my real father, actually. What's that? Looks a lot <laughs> like him. And I mean, he's always <laughs> reminded me of him. And, and also, whenever I look at Dilgo Kinsey, yeah. I cry. Just, mm. I've you know, and it's like the connection that people talk about having with Maharaji or, you know, oh, yeah. I've had it with Dilga Kinsey Rinpoche, just...
2: We call them Mr. Universe.
0: Right, that's what I heard. Yeah. And I heard yesterday, I was sitting with Carolyn Rose Gimmeon and, and Samuel Burkle's, oh. old friends of yours, and they ah, were telling okay. me that, um, I think it was um, Carolyn's husband, Jim, said that... Jim,
2: uh, Zongsar... who just said to say hello to you, by the way, he just uh, sent me an email. No, well, He didn't say why, but he said... So it just came up right away.
0: Oh, yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, he was saying that Zongsar Jamyang Kensei named him Mr. Universe, was the first person that coined that in referring to Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche.
2: Who gave him the name?
0: Um, Zongsar Jamyang Kensei Rinpoche. DJKR, they call him. He's uh, no. the son of Tinli Norbu Rinpoche.
2: Zongsar Kensei Rinpoche. Yes. The thing is, he was huge. He was like six foot seven. Yes. And that's, as I'm sure you know, that was un- unusual for a Tibetan to be that big. Yeah. He, so he was kind of a, a unique, and he would walk with a monk under each arm like, like stilts, you know? Yeah, wow. And, and, and he had a, he had a, a vibe that, you know, I don't think we, you and I are the only two people who picked it up. He's yeah. just widely recognized as kind of like, um, one of the great great masters of the of the 20th century of, yeah and and in the diaspora of T- Tibetan Buddhism coming out to the rest of the world and he also transcended the lineages because he taught the Dalai Lama right so he he's just generally considered to be people who would meet him just like you said like Maharaji if you had a kind of feeling of doubt or whatever you know it was eradicated by the luminosity of his presence yes. which is really something that I guess there's a cheese ball version of that, which is called charisma, yeah, which that. is a low wattage version of that ball, what we call authentic presence. <laughs> Who
0: might have but, that, <laughs> that lower well, version? I
2: should keep my big mouth shut, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, think of some kind of movie star or something. Oh, you know, right. That, you know, there is a glow. There is something like, um, oh. you know, on the red carpet, but it, it waxes and wanes, right. you know, depending on the power and energy of the person. Yeah. but also on the perception of the people around them. Right. But authentic presence doesn't wax and wane in that way. So when you see Karmapa or say, to these teachers... You can miss it. You could not be in tune to that quality, but most human beings are able to feel something that's beyond the level of ordinary charisma.
0: Wow, that is a beautiful thing to know, these subtle stages of variation of the highest wattage to the lowest in this way.
2: Their their inner qualities are really fully manifested, and and there's a vibrancy and an energy. The Dalai Lama has that. You know, it's called authentic presence is one of the words that's used for it, wangtang in Tibetan. It's also sometimes called an empowerment field, Hmm. in the sense that it radiates out. Many people have the same response that you had. They might cry when they meet somebody like that. Yeah. Even freaked out. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Depending on your relationship to that, you, you know.
0: I did an interview a few months back with Bob Roth of the David Lynch Foundation. Oh, for Yeah, and it was really great. And he was telling me stories about how John Lennon actually got in that tripped out phase when he was around the Maharishi originally. And later on, yeah. he was able to process it, and he actually reconnected with the Maharishi and sort of apologized for the for the misunderstanding, which was kind of mind blowing information. If you're a Beatles fan, to to know about these extensions that go on beyond the the rumors. Well,
2: and John Lennon didn't exactly have low charisma. I don't see any <laughs> <stuff like>
0: that. <laughs> no kidding. And get back, they have that thing you're talking about. All four of them.
2: Yeah. Well, and some of it's cultivated that kind of. Natural charisma, which a lot of stars have it. You know, yeah. they, you know, part of the business I've been in is is identifying that in the music business, right? right. We're trying to identify that quality and, right. and go, okay, well, that's where you want to go.
0: Yeah. And this was like uh, overwhelmingly so with Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche. Um, well,
2: his was like, it wasn't based on any kind of cause or conditional situation. That's the difference. It's like, it's not because he was a great scholar or because he had accomplished this or, it was in the emanation body that he had you know we're all luminous beings that's the whole premise of it but if if you look at the nature of a person it's energy you know yeah and and then it's you could say if you look with a certain eye it's uh you can see in some cases it's misaligned or there's um obstacles obstructions you know yeah um and our practice is to kind of bring out more of the natural quality
0: of that right right would you say yes definitely dave chappelle when he was accepting the mark twain Mm. award he gave a speech and he was acknowledging his mother for for um talking about early on that there was this always this person in every tribe in africa that was sort of like held all the stories Mm. held all the stories of the town and when that person dies it's like a library is being burned down and that's wow. and that's how I felt about hearing that Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche also just took in teachings from all the different sects. Yeah. It didn't matter where it came from, and he recorded this stuff. And then and then sort of was still holding so much that hadn't been written, but it was like thousands of things that he wrote, wasn't it?
2: My sense of these things is that a lot of it's multi-dimensional. Mm. So some of it's temporal domain, and it's like okay, that's you're not going to get that again. Yeah, and right. some of it is. Um, you know, our, our lineage is, you're tapping into a lineage that has a history and, you know, <laughs> I call it Natty told Hattie about a thing she saw, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That makes sense.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, for hundreds of years right. and, and so on. A tremendous emphasis is placed on authentic and lineage and, yeah. and those kind of things. And also not on, you know, Trunk Rinpoche used to talk about Buddha Dharma without credentials, which is interesting, you know, just... Yeah. If you took the person without their pedigree, without their claims to whatever states of realization or whatever, without their marketing effort, and now you're in, sitting in a room with the person, what is the feeling of
0: Oh, it? that's the
2: best. Yeah, and that's really the you know the final thing. But it does go back to okay, well, this person you know they studied with this person who studied with that person. There was like a lot of heavy stuff being transmitted. But if you go back,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like take the Kagyu lineage, yes. you know, which goes back. Uh, to about 800 A.D. Talopa in, mm-hmm. in India, mm-hmm. who was a, a total uh, homeless person. Yes. Uh, the point is he wouldn't match to your conception of what a lineage told him master. And the fact is that he was self-realized. In other words, spontaneously realized. Gotcha. So, people still lay claim to that. You know what I mean? You have yeah. people in, very much in the current fabric. I mean, I guess Eckhart Tolle would be an example of that. Yeah, who that's... says, I'm spontaneously realized. It's not like I received a lineage transmission. Yeah. So, that, of course, is always um, an intriguing situation. For somebody like myself, for example, Mm -hmm. I like finding people who know stuff and studying with them and going, there's a a healthy attitude of surrendering your your arrogance and your sense of uh, having to defend your realization or, or support it artificially. Right. So that always appeals to me. And look at the musicians that we had the opportunity to learn from.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Right. True. You know, John Coltrane, tremendous giant, but, you know, he's after a long line of great saxophone players. Yes. And it's not like he just skipped them and then just went, oh, I I found a saxophone in the garbage.
0: Right. No kidding.
2: (laughs) Picked it up and just started playing a love supreme. Yeah,
0: but I wouldn't put it past him. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I wouldn't put it past some people to just have that thing. I mean, I know that he went through a great deal of suffering. I think that losing everything, even momentarily, you know, I recommend it. I (laughs) recommend (laughs) it. <laughs> no one would wish it upon themselves, but no. uh, a little death, and and I don't mean you know hurting yourself, but I just mean challenging no. your notions of everything and having those challenged. None of us choose that for ourselves. Most right. of us don't, but um, it's been really good to me to lose.
2: Right, good. Well, and thank you for emphasizing that because you know the bottom of the pit should be trampoline like, rather than you know. Mm. Catastrophic if, if if it's if, if, if nature is working right, mm-hmm. but there's a little piece of that loss with the path of surrender and devotion. Yes. Whether it's you know with uh, you know Maharaji or, or or you know Bhakti or whether it's uh, uh, you know Christianity or Muslim, there's always a sense of like bowing. There's always you know. Do you, did you ever hear the two thousand year old man that record?
0: No. Well, who okay, was that? that's
2: going to be the best thing that ever happened out of this podcast, is you're going to go listen to The 2000-Year-Old Man with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. Oh,
0: just, I just yeah. watched uh, Comedians in Cars getting coffee with both of them. Ah, yeah, it was amazing. I just watched M- it two Mel days Brooks ago. Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner? Yes, and they're eating, and Mel Brooks has like food on his face while he's talking. It's so perfect. Well, I can't they, wait.
2: They did a bit called The 2000-Year-Old Man, mm. which is... If you're my generation, it's a total classic. It's a must-have. And um, everybody knew the riffs from it, so you could just do the riffs. Um, gotcha. The premise is that Mel Brooks is, is 2,000 years old, yeah. and he survived. And Carl Reiner is always a straight man. He's interviewing him. Uh-huh. And, and he says, uh, tell me, sir, do you remember when they discovered God? Oh, yeah. And he has a little Jewish accent. Oh, God. Yeah, God. I meant, well, before that, he said, we were living in the caves. you know, <laughs> and And there was... This one really big, strong guy named Phil. And we used to pray to Phil because we would say, oh, Phil, please don't hit me in the head with that rock. Oh, Phil, please don't pick me up and drop me off a cliff. Yeah. And then one day he said, Phil was struck by lightning. (laughs) There's something bigger than Phil. And that's when we discovered. That's so good. So that's, there's something bigger than Phil, one way or another.
0: When I'm working with people and they want to know about the root causes of their physical pain or their, you know, getting to the root of the trauma, the no true story aspect of existence mm. um, is a primary in my way of teaching people about the interconnectedness of all things and that mm. the people that hurt me in life all those people are hurt people and all those people are carrying a story of being hurt by someone else. And it keeps going back so far that there's no one to blame that you can't find the person who started all this and everybody's caught up in their own list. That's been unchecked.
2: And isn't, isn't also the premise that you're the only one who can actually change it though. Right. Even if you could find it, they can't change it for you. Yes. You could find the narrative of the source code. Yes. But you can't un- Earth, your mother and father from the grave. You can, right. you know, you can't relive World War II. You can't go back in time, but you can shift your relationship to that storyline and, right. and not be the subject of it. And I'm not talking about repressing it or, right. or manipulating it, but you can liberate from the uh, the kind of stuck quality of it. No,
0: yes, it's like the compassion. I feel like for me, I had someone who uh, was a family member who was just a few years older than me who, you know, showed me masturbation. But this is a 20-year-old, and I'm 13. So, Uh. you know, and it's done in secrecy. It's this thing that I'm told to hide, and it was very confusing for me. And I had mixed feelings, even though it seemed like this older person in my life was showing me something valuable. He was also the same person who showed me N.W.A., you know, for the first time as music. And, oh, and I was okay. like, wow, this is, you know, both beneficial and I feel like I'm getting good information about sex now from somebody that's older than me. But this is, you wow. know, this is this created a great deal of suffering in my life. I think there's a universality to not sexualizing children. You know, there's a universality oh. no matter all traditions, it seems like when kids are exposed to things that are beyond their comprehension, that it can create a lot of suffering, and it did for me. And I carried that as a burden, and I thought of myself as a victim. And then at a certain point in my recovery, let's call it, um, I was able to see him as passing on something that most likely was done to him Mm -hmm. that he didn't invent it. And this is the thing. So I I was able to change the story about him as being Mm -hmm. this person that was hurting me to like him just being like me. And thinking that he's actually doing something um, beneficial for me. Yeah. And so that changed that and it freed him up in my mind. And so compassion is there, you know, and that was the medicine for me. And it's the medicine Mm -hmm. I think in all situations is to kind of do that type of investigative work and free up these solidified Mm -hmm. narratives.
2: Right. Well, of course, and meditation can be helpful with that because you're just looking at the narratives as they ripple through the mind stream.
0: I have to say that it was only because of meditation that I was able to have those kinds of realizations. Uh-huh. It was absolutely just doing, just doing
2: straight up mindfulness awareness practice. That's just, it.
0: And a yeah. little reading. You know, I think that this combination, it's sort of an elixir. That if most people did this tiny thing of just waking up in the morning with all the narratives that they have already going about their day and just sit and read something that they trust, a lineage that they trust of information for a few minutes and then meditating for a few minutes could radically transform one's life. And it has for me. It doesn't take much more than that. Just challenge the Uh narratives with some wisdom that you read and then contemplate it in meditation or actually sure. don't.
2: Sure, hearing, contemplating, and meditating.
0: Yes, that's it.
2: You know, I'm like a Dharma tape recorder. Yeah. <laughs> this good, I mean, I like to be creative about writing music and stuff like that. I yeah. have influences, but as far as Dharma goes, I'd like just to be a repeating station with, with whatever uh, spin I can put on it so it actually lands for somebody. Yeah. But I never make up new things or new Dharma. You know, it's just the, the depths of the classical Buddhist format are so. Profound to me, it doesn't feel like it needs to be invented, but it does need to be revoiced. You know, right? Like if you if you arrange a tune, it needs to be arranged.
0: Yes, I mean they were saying that yesterday. You know, I was when I was sitting with Samuel and Carolyn for our interview. Is
2: is this Sam Burkhals? Sam, Sam Burkles, yeah.
0: Sam oh, Burkholz okay. and Carolyn Rose Gimeon uh, and Jim Gimeon. I was uh, doing a podcast. Oh, you did a with...
2: podcast with the three of them? Yes, yes. Wow.
0: A two-hour epic. I mean, it was really great stories. So many great stories came out of that.
2: Well, and just for the, li- the listeners, you know, just to... Sam was the publisher. I'm sure they've heard it on your podcast already, but of uh, Shambhala Books, which had nothing to do – he didn't even know who drunk Rinpoche was when he named it that. Isn't that amazing? And, ca- <laughs> and, amazing. Uh, and Carolyn – Really, uh, together with a woman named Judy Leaf, transcribed and edited many of the major texts of Trunk Rinpoche, and They've also trained the next generation of translators and yes, editors. So that's these right. are, you know, these are my earliest friends in the, in the community. That's so and cool. as you said, some of them are still cooking. Yeah. Um, and of course, Jim is, um, you know, was a very, very close uh, personal student with Trump Chase. so he carries a lot of the inner stories. Yeah, there's a certain time at which you go, you know, this is my commitment in this lifetime, and it, it's not false devotion that's kind of blind. It's like really loving something and being deeply committed to it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not that easy to come by in these days particularly, I would say.
0: For sure. And they share that that's really the bond of their marriage, you know, for all these Indeed. years. Wow. Is, is Wow. That's is, amazing. Yes. Devotion to Trump or Rinpoche. It's the thing that's the most important to both of them that they share. And it's held them in this marriage for decades.
2: We were trained, and I think all three of them would concur, to question every word, every syllable with respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, you know, a, a, a sense of not being feeble or, you know, wobbly in terms of our connection with it. Yeah. But never to be blind to faith. Yeah. So any attribution to me of, of Trung as is um, whatever, you can say whatever you want about his lifestyle, about him as a teacher. Right. You're free to come and go. He's been dead for 35 years. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to be in a room with him again in that way. Right. But that was how he taught us. Yeah. And that's how I hold it. You know, I have my own label, my record label, dharmamoon.com, which is now a dharma label. Oh, nice.
0: Yes, of course. Dharma
2: platform, dharmamoon.com. And we are teaching. And, um, you know, we emphasize that quite a bit in today's climate that the way Rimachai said it was your guess is as good as mine. He would say that all the time. (laughs) And we're, we're reiterating that (laughs) nobody is encouraged to take anything on faith. And that does not counterindicate the ability to develop a cohesive, And continuous relationship with a teacher that's based on mutual respect and trust. That's different. Right. I just want to go on the record. That's my, that's the way I view it.
0: Oh, Um, beautiful. And and
2: I'm trying to uphold that specifically in 2023.
0: Wonderful. With the
2: new batch of students. One of my teachers said, don't defend yourself and don't defend the Dharma.
0: Oh, I love that.
2: Yeah, that's good teaching, you know, because you can think, oh, I'm not defending myself, but I'm defending the whole sacred holy dharma from whatever. If you're doing dharma, seriously, you're entering a gladiator pit of yeah. reality versus the uh, the lions and tigers of public opinion or whatever they Samsara, represent. Samsara,
0: the lions and tigers.
2: Yeah, and you, gotta, you can't look around and say, oh, but my coach, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Not kosher.
1: Right. You have
2: to be able to stand into it and go, wow, you know, you're right. Buddhist teachings come from a patriarchal society for thousands of years. So did everything else. Yeah, exactly. And and it may. Be utterly appropriate to reframe some of those elements. Right, right. And keep the essence of it. And that would be our job to do that.
0: Yeah. Usually, when people these days feel like cutting someone out of their life, you know, by cutting them out, it's only an illusion that you think you're cutting them out because you would have to also go back in time and erase all of their influence in your life and all the things that have benefited you up until now from them being in your life. You have to take all of that out if you're willing to delete this person. Yeah. yeah,
2: we have in Dharma Moon a lot of young, partly because of affiliation with people like Duncan. There's another crowd of people coming along, right? You know, it's like you have the seven o'clock p.m. sitting and you have the nine p.m. sitting in the restaurant, and yeah. if somebody's sitting and they're still it's like eight forty-five or eight fifty-five, and they're talking about boy, those appetizers were really great. <laughs> yeah. it's time to get up, leave, and make space for the next sitting. Yeah. So I listen really carefully what people are concerned about. And if it's things like fairness, um, right conduct, right speech, uh, ethical conduct, there is no dharma that I'm aware of that justifies unethical conduct.
0: It gets weird, though, in our tradition, I mean, of the crazy wisdom tradition, though. It gets weird because some of the things that can happen are the next right thing to do, even though they culturally have a whole context around them, but this was just the next right thing to do, which how do you explain that to samsara?
2: Well, that's a really interesting point, and I wouldn't even go as far as crazy wisdom. I would say even basic Buddhism is to not take the norm for granted, because the norm is what? The norm is you should be happy, and you should be able to become happy by having certain things happen externally to you yeah, and manipulate your environment in certain ways. And taking refuge is like, is a completely radical challenge to that premise. Yes. I don't take refuge in my PhD. I don't take refuge (laughs) in my, you know, my family lineage, uh, my wealthy family. I don't take refuge in a history of poverty and abuse. I take refuge in the Buddha and the awakened mind, in the Dharma, which is some kind of methodology towards realizing that. Yeah. And in any kind of community that is dedicated towards the truth. Yeah. So that's like, it implies crazy wisdom. The song cause...
0: God by John Lennon. On I I, I don't know the
2: lyric. What's the, what um,
0: is It's the one, I don't believe in magic. I don't oh, believe yeah, in yeah, you know? Know? Okay, right. And then at the end, he just says, I just believe in me. Yoko Ooh. and me. Well, yes, yeah.
2: exactly. But here's the thing.
0: <laughs> the initial thing is like, uh, and he says, yeah. Yoko and me. And that's reality. And it's funny because that has changed for me. I used to go, okay, well, that's like, it sounds like an ego thing, even though I... sick or something. Yes, but I also agree with the thing of like just being sick of samsara and going like, I don't believe in Elvis. I don't believe in Zimmerman. I don't right. believe in the right. Beatles even. you know, right. And that's sort of noble to to address all that. But then when he got to the, um, I just believe in me, it can leave you kind of going like, oh, I don't know how to feel about that. My yeah. teacher, Lama Lanang Rinpoche, I was sitting in class with him two days uh-huh. ago. And and he goes off on this, this premise, actually, which changed my idea of things. He goes, oh, I have to do the impression of him. Okay. I was trying to not do it, but it feels more natural to be him. So yeah. he goes, yeah. he's like, so many people, they talk about the quotes of these great masters. He's like, and they follow the quotes and it's intellectualizing. He's like, but the Buddha was a scientist on himself so when we say uh, the buddha nature it's your nature so uh, so you are the scientist of your own life it's yeah. not about the buddha the buddha found that he was not a person
2: that is a very um the way that came up in recently in a conversation was somebody was quoting the famous zen quote if you meet the buddha in the road kill the buddha
0: right i love this one
2: yeah if somebody um could unpack that correctly. <laughs> uh, that's one thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But it could also lead to a kind of enshrinement of what is essentially a delusional sense of self as some kind of avatar.
0: Yeah, right. I was with a student. I was talking about seeing a picture of Christ and loving it. And she goes, oh, wow, you can get beyond that he's not black or that he's not, that he's a white Jesus. And I was like, all the deities, and this may be controversial, all the right. deities are just the litter of the universe. It's things that happened. They're all things that happened that showed the possibility for us all. But when we get too caught up in how they came or anything like that, like I can just see a picture of the Buddha is the same as a picture of Pamasambhava or is the same as a homeless person or is the same as I'm able to see them all as just expressions. You know, when we get too caught up in the form or the deity or any of these things, we're getting farther and farther off. A lot of these depictions in Tibetan Buddhism seem to be showing emotional states, you know. And somebody could look Mm -hmm. at the depictions and go like, what? Oh, look at all this. This is far too mystical for me. But they were just doing it to show how dangerous it was to have certain emotion.
2: What you're saying, I think there's another element to it, which is understanding... What exactly is being portrayed at the level of deity? Oh, okay, that's crazy. and the qualities of it. And again, a lot of this is by being given from somebody who's a practitioner and a seasoned practitioner of view. You know, I really stick by view, practice, and result. Mm-hmm. You know, the threefold logic is uh, some trumpeter to really emphasize as a teaching device. Yeah. So, what's the view of the deity?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: As you said, part of the view of the deity is that it represents an emotional, energetic domain that is part of your actual natural makeup. Yeah. And it's a way of tuning into that energy. There's other qualities that the deities have. They're not solid. Right. So they're not in the rupakaya. They're not in the form realm. Right. You are, because I can push you and touch you, but if you went to push one of them, your hand would go through it.
0: I wish you would push me. (laughs) It would be a great pleasure to be pushed by you.
2: (laughs) Well, uh, and you can do it without touching people if you you know know how, but... Sure. um, And it's probably a better way to do it. You know, but... um, (laughs) Uh, You know, transparent, vivid, luminous, and articulated, but not solidified.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So if your deities are following you around, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, as solid form, the rupa is a representation of it. It's meant for you to... Tune into a level, Sambhogakaya level of understanding that there's a level that still has form, but it's basically energy. Right. Like a rainbow. Right. And then there's another level that's formless, the Dharmakaya. Yeah. And you are, you relate to those as body, speech, and mind, right? Uh-huh. So you, you have all three levels in yourself, the three Kayas, yeah. the Nirmanakaya, Sambhogakaya, and the um, Dharmakaya. Yes. But there's a fourth Kaya called the Svabhavakakaya. Oh. Which is the inseparability of the three kais. You can ask your llama about oh, that, okay? <laughs> that's
1: nice.
2: Rinpoche, what is that? I'd love to know what he says, but it's the inseparability of the three. So if you try to fleck off, yeah, just get in great shape, but your mind's a your your, your emotional life's a mess, let's just take an idiot level of, of thing. Yeah, sure. Or if you try to tune your energy body, but you're not like, you know, you have bunions on your feet, right. and you Can't or, or a, a, you need a knee replacement,
1: you yeah. know? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, And at the same time, people try to achieve kind of formless states but without any kind of congruence with their emotional state and their physical state. Yes. So it's an alignment. Yes. That's the way I look at it. So you're trying to align those three bodies, and that's the fourth kaya. That's just the way reality appears. Yes. Does that make any sense, first of all? It makes such sense. Yes, it makes such sense.
0: And what I experience meeting a lot of uh, mindfulness practitioners, people who are into yoga, who are practicing meditation, and they're practicing sort of uh, heading toward non-dualism. Mm-hmm. They practice rigorously, but there's not as much attention to the body and the stories that are held in the body emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so there's this hope that through ego dissolution that the stories will go. But what I find is that there's this tug of war with people who are just going too far into non-dual practice or into mindfulness practice, they're ignoring some stories left in the body that could use their attention. It's almost like, wait, we can't delete yet. Before all this is addressed, I know we're heading towards deletion and ego balance and all that stuff, but there's still some stuff here that could use your attention before we delete completely. What do you think about? You know what a wall means? Yes.
2: People <laughs> used in the army go a wall. Right. Um, We have this great phrase of spiritual bypassing. Yes. John Wellwood cooked up, I think, in Mm -hmm. Trungpa Rinpoche's spiritual materialism. Yes. And it's going to be to the last breath. Uh I would say as long as you're breathing, some part of you is a little salamander that's trying to survive.
0: Uh Uh-huh, that's true.
2: A tidal wave. right. It's a little salamander crawling on a beach, looking up and seeing a 50-foot wave coming in and going like, I can make it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. totally. (laughs)
0: Ah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I found out yesterday about you being the co-director of Karma Choling. So we've talked a lot about Buddhism. We've just gone right in. And I appreciate the jam session that we've just had without instruments. It's amazing to jam with you and to even hold up conversation with you. I'm proud of myself.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. That's That's a healthy kind of pride. You know, I don't think people have experienced enough healthy pride either these days.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I think that it helps to just... I think everything that I put out sort of shows the behind the scenes along with the, yeah, what's right. being documented. So people don't yeah. feel like there's this holier than now situation.
2: It's a holy shit situation, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is right. the
0: second room that I've been yeah. in today setting up for you. You know, I really wanted it to be a good lighting for our first thing. I don't even okay. think I'm going to use the video of this. I have regard and I guess devotion for those who have come before me and have had such rich traditions. And, and my teacher tells me that this devotion that I have, it only grows in me. You know, it doesn't go necessarily to the people or to him. I feel my devotion the most. But um, I have this devotion to making sure that people can have great information. And it's taken me yeah. years to talk with you. So here I am. It in this si- Yes. Well, I mean, before when I was first exposed to you, I-, I didn't have a show. But I definitely wanted to have conversation with you the moment I first heard you speak with oh. Duncan
2: you should have just called
0: me up <laughs> <laughs> well it's taken a okay. few years but uh now yeah. my karma's ripened to where i have people in my life like Raghu who are suggesting you to me you right know? Mm-hmm. so that i feel was an important piece because i used to as a musician it was about furthering a name i heard that it wasn't about who you know it's who knows you i guess it had always been said like it's who you know kid but yeah. now they're saying like, well, I don't know. It's more about like, hey, if somebody's into you. And well, so, there's a certain truth to that, I think, maybe. It's certainly been the case with this show. This is sort of a little engine that could kind of situation where my listeners, a few of them are people who could really open doors and who are fans of what's going on with this. And so they've opened doors to Vendor Banhart, introduced me to Sam Burkholz. You know, Devendra did the audio for uh, Chogum Trumpa's last book. He was the narrator oh, for a Small world, isn't it? Yes, it's so small. And it's opened yeah. up this whole door. And at a time where my devotion to Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, teachings, I've been reading book after book of his wow. for eight years, only Trungpa Rinpoche, except for Suzuki Roshi's book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind.
2: Well, I think, you know, I like to... Give credit where credit's due. Thank you, Sam Burkholtz and Carolyn Gimion, because they did a huge amount of work to make that possible that you have those books. No kidding. It's it's no small thing. And you know, and I, I, I mentioned it quite frequently in our some of our classes. I say there were translators, there were people editing. Yes. Uh and one of the great things about that I thought about Trump Kumārī was that he empowered people to fulfill, you know, a larger vision, create some kind of meaningful continuity of the Dharma in the West that's authentic and mm-hmm. true to the times. And you know, he was really a pioneer, yep. and, and these people really dedicated their lives to to, to assisting in that way.
0: Carolyn so had I, the impossible task of trying to figure out what to cut out. I'm like, yep. where did all the what you had to cut out? Where does all that go? You know,
2: so did Francis Ford Coppola, right?
0: Uh, but it is at that level. That's why uh, I feel of that level of importance, like the 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 trimmings off of wouldn't Trump. Would you want to stuff. see the
2: outtakes on the Godfather? Oh, totally, <laughs> <laughs> especially Godfather <laughs> Two. You know, there's so much um, baby bathwater kind of energy. I'm kind of a, a baby kind of guy. I'll lean towards the possibility that people were not demonic in their intent. Yes. With few exceptions, though.
0: Yes, absolutely. They exist. I'm
2: seeing some people on the world. I'll, I'll make an exception for you, baby. No, Me too. And, and then we have to understand where that demonic level of energy can come from. It can be part of the zeitgeist. It can mm-hmm. be part of the larger culture. Mm-hmm. And the person just becomes the embodiment of it. So even then, they're just like a vessel. When I heard about basic goodness, that Shambhala teaching, it, it resonated with me as how I really experience people most of the time. Shambhala Dharma teachings were 1976. Right. And that was a seminary that I was at. Wow, and those teachings came barreling at that seminary, yeah. and then became the foundation of a whole new set of teachings that that had had a, a cycle to them. Right. But before that, in 1970, Larry Mermelstein who's the head of the Nalanda Translation Committee, mm-hmm. another person that you might want to talk to, yeah, yeah, uh, who, who I co-teach. We have in Dharma Moon. We have a lot of different courses, including. A hundred hour mindfulness meditation teacher training that's meant for the sort of broader. Mm-hmm. We have year long Buddhist studies courses. We have creativity connecting up, you know, work, in creativity, spirituality, making a buck. We've got all these things, but one course we have is just myself and Larry, who are both from the original iteration. Mm-hmm. And Larry was one of the original translators. It's called, I called it Vintage Dharma.
0: Oh, wow. Nice.
2: And that's only for graduates of some of the other programs, but it's on Wednesday nights and we reading. We're just basically tuning people into those early transcripts.
1: Oh, beautiful. Uh,
2: texts that were written, uh, the kind of books that you, you've you been reading. Yes. Because it was, there was something extremely fresh happening then that had a lot to do with the Zeitgeist of the Times. Yeah. Myself, personally, I was going back and forth between my music career and that. Yeah. And both had a similar vibrance at that stage. Yeah. It was the era of singer-songwriters erupting, you know, James Taylor, Grateful Dead. You know, all, all these things were culturally percolating yes and a lot of it had to do with stepping outside of predictable stagnant forms yes at one point i was going back and forth between uh you know uh, studying with trump and being in a band with jerry garcia
0: no way i saw that credit and i i was gonna ask it's right here in my notes but i was like wait maybe he's covering a jerry song or maybe he played with him No,
2: no 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 we were in a band together called the great american music band no way man that's amazing And it wasn't a long-lived thing, but it, there was an arc to it. And it was David who was really yeah. the leader of the band. Dope. And and so it was sort of that Newgrass thing, which I'm like a complete nut job for. Yeah, me too. Um, and it. you like that too? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's, it's really like far out now, there's some pickers that are just off the off the planet totally. level of like we used to go nuts when doc Watson could play a, a, a guitar solo yeah and now any 12 year old could play rings around it it's yeah. just crazy
0: you know who I worked with once and I wonder if you know this guy Jerry Donahue do you know him
2: I do know Jerry Donahue
0: Fairport wow. Convention I think is the name of the group oh um, yeah, wow from Jesus the, man he's the bandmaster and so yeah. I got to watch him do the claw and all that stuff on guitar. And I produced something that he was playing on. So I got to like wow. see it up close.
2: So the 50 years we're talking about was from 1970, 53 years mm-hmm. to now. Yeah. Was the iteration of like, I feel like an archivist of the music arc for that time. Yeah. Somewhat the cultural arc. Yeah. You know, smaller the sociopolitical arc. I don't think I was ever like a black belt in that arena. Mm hmm. And also the Dharma thing, like seeing teachers come and go and get crashed and burned, yeah. whole communities rising out of the dust and collapsing in like Vesuvius like flames. Yeah. You know, and, and then what's the what's the through line is here we are. If you're a good Buddhist, you let all of that go. I, I'm not a very nostalgic person that way.
0: Mm, is that right?
2: I, I feel like the past was colorful and vivid. Yeah. Uh, you want to make sure that you keep the old people alive long enough to pass, like you said, the storyteller, pass the stories along. Yeah. Hopefully pass the transmission along. Right. And then not cling. Sometimes with, you know, the dead gurus and say, oh, is, that was the magical time. And this was, was reading this this person's mind. And then yeah, this yeah. person appeared in a puff of smoke. And I go, I have a lot of New York, so fucking what? Yeah. And <laughs>
0: I find it fascinating that you are not a record keeper. You're not so nostalgic and yet that we both have these similar lives but I'm more of the record keeping. I know what the Beatles ate in 1967 when recording <laughs> a certain song, the Sgt. Pepper kind of shit. <laughs> what the Beatles ate.
2: That's
0: really funny. You know or what instrument they they were playing and I've I've and I've transferred that Fanaticism around the Beatles and their record keeping over to Buddhism. As well, you
2: know what the Beatles ate, right? What? Worms.
0: Are you doing wordplay with me? <laughs> I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah. Uh,
2: I like telling lineage stories of the people who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah, but they a good storyteller should. Should the meaning should still be intertwined and the vibe should still be intertwined. Yes. And when the narrative gets away from us and it becomes a nostalgia fest and the people listening feel like I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. And the person telling the story can't transmit it anymore. It can only transmit the memory of it.
0: Yesterday, I think it was Carolyn that pointed out that, that Trump Rinpoche's essence, and I forget what the word is, but it's now reaching this new audience because there's this embodiment in the text, and, and some people feel it, and, and they feel that mm. same connection that, that you might have felt being in his presence. like That's been yeah, the case for that's me. That's interesting. It's, I'm just, it's like he's alive. It's like uh, he's a constant example for me. I go out and I practice being like him, being like sure. Dass, you know, and You know,
2: my uh, ex-partner used to say, I'll have what he's having. Right. Like we said, how are we going to portray this idea of meditation to people? Because it's just is so static looking. Mm-hmm. So you just take a picture of the Dalai Lama or something like that. I'll have what he's
0: having. Mm-hmm. Totally. Exactly. And, and, you
2: know, it should, it, it can radiate from... Pictures, representations—you know, you know this in Tibetan Buddhism—they have these statues who supposedly can talk sometimes. Right, right. There's so much potency Im- imbued into an image yeah. that it actually still is vibrating and alive. Yeah. There's this notion of certain teachings being so potent that they can be plucked. Right. This is called terma teachings. They can be plucked out of solid rock, right. the bottom of a lake, yeah. or the mind stream of a very adept and tuned-in being. Right. And they're always there. There are quite a few Tertans. I'm sure if you ask your your lama, it's part of the tradition. Yeah. Treasure revealer.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and the treasures were Im- embedded at times when there was tremendous potency and realization. And for the benefit of people of future ages, particularly dark ages, mm-hmm. that there's some way to retrieve some of this information at the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. But the true test of it is, is it potent now?
1: Yeah, right,
2: right. It has it gets. – let's say, for example, I said to you, Jamie, mm-hmm. come with me. To, there's a cave in Massachusetts. I want you to come with
1: me. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I put my hand – you saw me put my hand into the solid rock Yeah. and pull out a scroll. Yeah. You're going to go, holy shit, right? Yeah,
1: I
0: would, yes.
2: But aren't you, isn't the next thing you're going to want to do is say, let's look at the scroll?
0: You know what? I'm different than most people, and I want to answer this accurately. <laughs> I would probably just be excited for the fact that that happened, and I, I wouldn't care so much about the scroll.
2: But most people would. Yeah. I would
0: be just like, look
2: at what fucking David does. Can you believe Well, us? that's interesting. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. You, you, you know, I remember being in Maui and seeing a rainbow. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's drive and see if we can find where it landed. Yeah. You know, there, There is some adventure in just the expeditious manifestation of phenomenon right that uh, you know like a child's mind in that and i so i appreciate that's probably a beautiful quality that you have Mm -hmm. but i want to see the scroll and go like (laughs) and like the old lady on the subway what did he say yeah you know
0: you know you and rick rubin did you guys work together
2: ever no, I've met him several times, but so I don't oh. think I've ever worked
0: with him. I know he produced uh, KD. I, I know he's done some Christian Doss. He did he an album. some of the
2: early Christian Doss mm-hmm. records. And um, when I was producing a KD record, we went to his house and played it for him. Oh, nice! And I also, I also played him uh, the Lana Del Rey record that we had just finished to wow. see if he was interested in it. But I, did I'm he end sure up producing you're... her? Yeah, it's a small world.
0: I bring Rick up because he's also one of these people that doesn't look back, and yet. Whenever I hear him speak, it feels like he's pulling from the same source as me. It feels like he has the same drop-in quality, but he's not a nostalgia whore.
2: And here's a little – I'll tell you one thing I am a little nostalgic for.
0: Oh, okay? nice.
2: L.A. in the 70s. Oh, totally.
0: I bet. I bet.
2: It was just a cool, cool time. And being up in the canyons there and all that great music was going on. and Yeah. And I guess it's a time in your life when you're really kind of like free in a way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's something about that. Like, I guess if I could go back, I had this house on Mulholland Drive. I was the coordinator for the L.A. Dharma Center, 76 to 78. Oh, and then wow. in 78, I, w- I went, as you mentioned earlier, to be the co-director of Karma Chili in Vermont. Unbelievable. So I had four years at the peak of my music career where I had to put a lot of time and energy into Dharma stuff. Wow. And, and it definitely dented my music career. Yeah. No doubt about it.
0: You're the early... Settlers, almost, of this Buddhism coming straight to America. I mean, it's it it had just landed. I guess Suzuki Roshi got here in like 1958, I think, and so he's probably the first.
2: He was the only person you had. I think Sam might have mentioned this. He was in his podcast, but he was the only person that Trunk Rimpaté could find some ground with as an authentic lineage holder right. in the Wild West.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But here's the thing: Rimpate was chameleonic. He somehow got free of the heavy, heavy Tibetan form. And to the extent that the other Tibetan teachers coming over and they're saying, what are you doing? But mm-hmm. he was out there like, dressed like a cowboy and hanging out with us and living mm-hmm. in Colorado and living in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And to, I think, his credit, and, you know, this is pure love at this point, kind of let himself drink the water yeah, of our culture and 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 us
0: for sure and
2: didn't just go oh look you poor heathens you know there's no way you're gonna understand this stuff
0: yeah let me show you my way and how we do it back home he didn't do anything he
2: he really hung out right at first and that was a great time because it was a fun time
0: did you take lsd with him
2: i'm not gonna talk about it
0: oh (laughs) (laughs) because i just heard that he he took lsd and it was a mind blower to me that he took lsd sam talked about it
2: just to frame it he he used a variety of methods working with students i never saw him do something casually and offhanded it was a very right. intentional context in which it happened but that's the truth now yeah people are doing it now as a spiritual training ground yeah they are with somebody who's qualified to lead them through it that's
0: true i had a dream in 2013 and it was a very strange dream that I want to tell you about because it involves a translator. I had a dream that I was uh in the Himalayas or the Himalayas. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh I'm walking by myself and I see this monk who is is going over hillsides almost like a cartoon um, watching the road runner or a Tasmanian devil come over hills and getting closer and closer, just this dust cloud kind of thing. I saw this person just running super fast over hills really quick. And then just stopped right in front of me. Like UFOs do how they can just stop. Well, you know, oh, sure. I do whatever they are.
2: <laughs> I'm like, you know,
0: UFOs, right? <laughs> um, so the person stopped in front of me. It was a white guy, an older white guy. He, pulled out this um, thing from his mind and, and then placed it in my head. And then uh, my eyes got really big, like cartoon eyes almost. And I started running across the hillsides like super fast. And I didn't have any reference to this, but the guy said his name was Herbert. And, uh, and, and then I, I was like, who's a translator with the name Herbert? After I got out of the dream, I started looking this up. And like, it turns out Herbert Gunther, sure. who was this early translator of you know, right. turning a lot of Tibetan um, teachings into English. I later told my teacher this dream, and he said, that's not a normal dream. Mm-hmm. He said, that's a very important dream. He said, that usually only happens to qualified masters have dreams like this. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the name Herbert Gunther and I was like, where is he in association with? And I asked, you know, I asked a friend and they, they said, oh, Namkai... Norby- Namkai Yes, Namkai Norvo. Had some relationship with him. Later on, I read this book by Lama Govinda called The Way of the White Clouds. In this, Famous
2: early read for a lot of us. Yeah.
0: It was such, I mean, it was sitting on a, a bookshelf for years and I noticed it at a place where I worked and finally I pulled it down Yeah. and then All I right. took it home and I started reading it and it was like, Oh my God. And this is a, a Swiss guy or something. He's, he's mm-hmm. But having this full on Tibetan Buddhist experience, so immersed in it. And uh, he talks about one of these stories of being lost in the Him- Himalayas. He was worried that he wasn't getting get back to his camp. Um, which is a mile away or something. It was starting to get dark. And all of a sudden, he um, picked up speed, and he's just going over hillsides like a, like a cloud of dust, just running super fast. And he got back to his spot, and it's known as some sort of phenomena.
2: It's called Lung gompa.
0: That's it! Yeah. Right! And I couldn't yeah. believe reading this. I was like, that yeah. was what happened in my dream. And I don't know what it all means, but please, have at it.
2: Well, that's the first, and maybe the only time I was exposed to that particular a depth level of practice. Yeah. Uh, it's probably related to light walking, you know, in the right. Taoist tradition. You know, you see that in all the kung fu movies, they're sort of skipping. Yes. And that, lung means wind. So there's a relationship to the wind energy. That body becomes light, can leap in six foot increments. Of course, there's also iterations of it where the person, Milarepa, was said to be able to fly through the air and We have in our body what's called winds, Mm -hmm. you know, that are channels and winds of energy that have been described in different traditions, different ways, you know. So one way of looking at neurosis is they're clogged, those channels, Mm. or twisted. And so you're untangling yourself at an energetic level. Mm. Um, And then the body, you know, a lot of our heaviness of body is because we're, you know, kind of the gravitas and the kind of weight we've given to our emotional trauma and stuff like that. You see, people look by the end of their life.
1: Job of the, the hut. whole thing.
2: Gravity has just reclaimed. Right. And then you see people with wind imbalances, you know, that are like too speedy or so,
1: you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
2: so this is all very old knowledge in a number of different traditions. Mm hmm. The point is rather than create any kind of fascination with the capabilities that we might have, Mm -hmm. what's called cities, you know. Uh You know, Michael Jordan used to be able to go up in the air (laughs) and he'd hit his peak and then I don't know how he did it. He levitated further up from there. Do you remember that? Yes, of course. You go, wait a minute. You can't do that. You only go to the top of your leap and then you're going to start going down. Right. People see extraordinary capacity in Mm -hmm. human beings, but there's more. Right. And, and these are called cities, you know, uh-huh. th- uh, powers. Yeah. And our traditions all say do not pursue them, period. Mm-hmm. Do not pursue cities.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. So don't pursue them, but they may happen as a natural byproduct of your practice. And yeah, so- like some
2: people who practice a lot become very intuitive, you know, bordering right. on, um, you go, I knew you were going to say that, or uh-huh. something as simple as that. But sure. pursuing them is considered like a, a, uh, a problematic issue because... That point, they're being used to aggrandize this sort of solidified sense of self identity. Right. Um, they'll just get you in, in, in into trouble. Yeah. Among those practices, like the inner heat, the tumult. Yes. You know. Uh, and by the way, these are practices that are, exist to the present moment, but they're not public and they're not sought after. Right. But how can an average person go? Well, look. You could just get your mind untied from the knots that it's in.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: You could. You could lighten your relationship to your body, your energy, to your karma by developing a sense of humor and play about uh, about not making everything about you. Yeah. And thick and heavy. That kind of lightness is, is a really good thing to to, to um, talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know Wim Hof?
2: Everybody's Wim Hofing. You know, <laughs> remember everybody was kung fu <laughs> fighting. Back that, that song. <laughs> I don't know a single person who is not jumping into ice (laughs) out on on Long Island where where I live most of the time these days. Everybody I know is going out into the middle of the ocean in, in, the, in the winter yeah. and doing that breathing and stuff like that. Vimov has a, uh, a special on Gwyneth Paltrow's channel, if anybody wants to check it out. The
0: only thing I've watched is the Vice special that he did years ago. And since then, this mind over matter thing of him yeah. being able to reverse the uh, poisons or diseases that get injected into him, he's yeah. able to uh, overcome them with uh, a heavy breathing, deep breathing. And, and these methods or whatever, is this sort of like him unlocking some of these things without Buddhist context, potentially?
2: It's just discovery. Yes. So do we exist, you know, with a higher capacity than we manifest? Mm. Mm. Anybody would say, of course, don't go to college if you don't believe that.
1: Right, right.
2: Why would you study? Why'd you get a PhD or an MD? Yeah. At the biological level, I would say from my studies, the Western approach to the physiology is cool, but it's primitive because it's based on kind of muscle strength, for example, and physical training. Whereas like, you know, if you are somewhat conversant with the idea of prana or chi, you know, that's a whole nother level we all should just take it one step at a time and, and, <laughs> yeah. and marry it immediately to a, a benevolent wish for all sentient beings and others, or don't even get into it.
0: It all comes know? down to that. With all of these explorations and anything that's beneficial here, anything that's curious or mysterious, or anything that's that's uh, bringing you delight right now in this moment from yeah. this conversation, may all beings feel sure, that's that right. delight. It's beautiful. Yes.
2: Bodhicitta, uh, aspiration, and... Uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a very notable thread. You know, you can really feel that when somebody has that.
0: All of these underutilized potentials that lie within the human body, let's just say, mm-hmm. or within consciousness. At Yogananda's death, his body stayed in a state of immutability for like 21 days after passing. And this was logged by the coroner of L.A.,
2: Trunker Munche was sitting up for five days after he passed away in, in, in Nova Scotia. Were you there for that? And, and, and I was there. Uh, it was a kind of um, sense that there's the, the consciousness is stabilized enough so that it's not like right away going, like, Where am I? I don't know what's happening. It fades over time. But the way they test it is that the heart center stays warm. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, rigor mortis doesn't set in right away. Right. So this is signs of realization, you know, mm-hmm. and usually it's pretty quiet and inner stuff. But for whatever reason, Trump Rinpoche shared it with all of his students. It's in his will.
1: Mm. And,
2: and we would go every day and sit with him. I had a moment seeing him sitting there. Uh, he was on a throne and with a pandita hat and mm-hmm. the robes, and he was dead. <laughs> and I went, I went back that night to the hotel, and I was with some friends, and I just went, that fucking guy... Has more presence dead than the rest of us do
0: alive.
2: <laughs> that that is the
0: best line ever. That is the best, man.
2: It, it was uh, because I thought it's not going to be that easy to get out of this and go <laughs> back to some kind of sloth filled, right. you know, decadent thing. Right. The, the guy's finally not breathing fire down everybody's neck,
1: but, <laughs> right.
2: you know, they also say that when a teacher like that dies, there's a phrase they call it. They enter the action.
1: I don't know. They're this. everywhere. They're
2: everywhere, and that's what people get. You know, with people like Maharaji and things like that. Yes. You know, it's 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 not so much that they're in like hovering, like in Star Star Wars, in the, some kind of etheric body. <laughs> it's, it's more it's permeating. You yeah. know, and, and it's also in the gaps of experience. Yeah. Because so much of their experience is between solidification yeah, because their mind is so fresh that, and, and you have that same connection. So mm. you're going to connect best with your gurus and your deities yes. in the gaps uh-huh. you know, between concepts.
0: Wow. That's beautiful, man. Thank yeah. you. That is such nectar to my ears. Honestly. Um, were you there when the ice rolled into Nova Scotia? I guess I was right at that time when he passed, there was these huge chunks of ice and it got uh, Nova Scotia got sort of dark and uh cloudy and there was this storm i never even
2: heard about this i was i did i lived in new york at the time
0: yeah it was when he was dying it was um the day before he died and then after he died the ice just all all completely went back out
2: you know jim and carolyn were really with him yes in a very continuous so there was like a very inner group of people who were like attendants, and you know i was coming and going from that other world Gotcha. I had a very strange life that way because I would go out and, <laughs> you know, I, I've had a full taste of the other world of movies and records and people and celebrities and stuff like that. Never felt like I want to get ca- caught by this, but mm-hmm. I I was like a mouse trying to get the cheese out before the trap closed. Yeah, and, totally. Because I, I needed the money. Yeah, sure. And yeah. so so I went, you know, I had... Uh, one great hit record, Midnight at the Oasis. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, man. And, I went, and Lenny Warnker was kind of like my mentor and kind of, uh, he produced that record. Wow,
0: no way. I didn't know that. That's yeah. incredible. So,
2: and he remained in my mind, heart, and dreams as a kind of very important figure because he gave me my shot in that world.
0: That's royalty. So
2: I didn't see him for a while because I was probably functioning more at that point in this other, other realm. Mm-hmm. and. I went back to L.A. and I made an appointment. He was, he was the um, head of DreamWorks Records at mm-hmm. the time. Mm. And uh, I made an appointment to say hello. And on the way to it, I wanted to give him a gift. And I stopped at this antique store and they had a, a set of Japanese bowls. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sake cups. Oh. antiques, Antique sake cups.
0: Oh, wow. And
2: I bought it as a present for him. And then on the way uh, to, to his office, I wrote a card out. That was a kind of pseudo-haiku.
0: Uh-huh. closest I'm ever going to get to a haiku. Sure. And
2: it said, past, present, and future in a drop of sake. Wow. Thank you for financing my Buddhist education. (laughs) 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 That's great. And I gave it to him.
0: That's amazing. I'm a huge fan of Lenny's work.
2: Oh, God. He was uh, completely major. Uh, And I have a lot of sentiment. Maybe I'm nostalgic for that. Well, that's that, uh, that '70s a, LA, and you know we're in the studio, and Ray Cooders in the next studio, and Randy oh. Newman's in the next studio, right, right? And the Doobie Brothers are getting mastered by Lee Hirschberg, and that. Nice. So I, that's the one time I'll indulge this thing yeah. of just like. Ooh, golden age, man.
0: Yeah. I missed out on all that and I took it personally. I missed out on the 60s. (laughs) I missed out on the 70s. I took it personally. (laughs) I
2: took it personally.
0: And and so I've been on this uh, thing trying to make then happen now, which I guess is kind of what I've been doing is sort of like trying to bring the elements that I missed out on into this moment right now. And I've been successful. But maybe
2: you were one of those guys. Who was like a drummer, a famous dr- God, I even can think of who it could have been. Wow! You might have been a famous drummer in the canyon uh-huh. and had an early drug overdose or death yeah. in like seventy four or seventy five. But yep. you rode that wave and then you came back in as quick as you get into another body and said, Shit, I gotta get back on that train. Totally that is
0: <laughs> I love that. And I am a drummer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Whoa! Yes. Really?
0: I am a drummer, and my first <laughs> instrument was piano, which is a drum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and I learned drums very easily without a drum set. Honestly, uh, this is a very funny thing that you picked up on. Uh, I, I didn't have a drum set, but I watched drummers in music videos, and I would practice on my lap driving with my mother, and I would practice working all the different parts. So when my mom bought me a drum set, I literally sat down and I could just play. Because i have been doing it. Well, see, it this
2: is what I mean. You know, these things are floating around in the jello of time, as I call it. Since all the stories are fabricated anyhow, we as storytellers, songwriters, movie makers, whatever, we're creating... a a, a narrative that's one step removed from the narrative we've already created, which is the the sort of story of our life, which is also a fabrication. I mean, where did it happen? When did it happen?
0: I never thought about that music is a way of actually keeping something from deteriorating based in memory. You're right. Being a musician my whole life and then giving it up at a certain point Mm -hmm. and as an identity, just going like, that's hurting me. I just need to just figure out... What else is here outside of all yeah. of who I think I am? I was amazed to find that in conversations that involved deep, compassionate listening, that it was the same connection that I got in music, jamming with someone. <clears throat> and I realized, holy shit, it's always been about this. Yeah. The music is, of course, the uh, sultry temptress that, that brings you into something like this, yeah. but actually isn't needed And that we could be making music just like you and I've been making music in this last, you know, yeah, without a
2: doubt. From that point of view, it's why I went with, um, you know, my book, creativity, spirituality, making a buck. I included creativity. Now, some people are picking up on that, but I'll take a seat as one of the original iterators of the theme that the creative expression, uh, that the spiritual practice, and the livelihood are all are all uh, relevant, and perhaps. Depending on the person of equal value, depending on in which direction they're off balance. So, for example, a lot of spiritual people, their livelihood stuff is just not together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and a lot of creative people, their livelihood's not together. That's right. And a lot of business people, their creative thing and their spiritual thing's not in alignment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So if you look at those three pieces and you add the fourth piece of relationship, mm-hmm. I think you're describing this journey that we're all on here. Uh, bringing the outer and the inner into a reasonable alignment. And then... Uh, there's no place to hold it. Right. That's emptiness. There's no place to put it. That's right. Miles understood this, you know? Yes. Oh, my
0: gosh. Wait. Right?
2: Miles d- was a real Siddha, I think.
0: Yes, for sure. Very uh, very Trump or Rinpoche, actually, in so many ways. He
2: was a little bit of crazy wisdom, Miles Davis. Yes. He, he, he had a certain out-of-the-box, genuinely. But there's some great stories, and one of the public domain ones is um, – being interviewed and they're showing like that great bebop era, you know, with him and Coltrane all those guys yep. in suits with those little narrow ties and mm-hmm. playing the slamming, basically wedding and bar mitzvah music that they went like, let us show you how this is really possible <laughs> to do with this, with these tunes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Classic yeah. tunes. Then they show him with the hair implants and the red trumpet and then playing with the new, the new electronic kind of guys. And, uh, yeah. And, and the interviewer is going, yeah, but miles, he goes, wasn't that really the shit there, you know? And Miles just looks at him, and this is like, he goes, yeah, he goes, but you see, man, that was then, and this is now. I knew it. You know, you go like, uh, Eckhart totally said what?
0: Totally. Um, you had said earlier that we shouldn't focus on these things as being the attributes, these uh, features that can come along with a growing Buddhist practice and devotion, these uh, features that can get unlocked that we shouldn't be looking for them. And uh, we're also um, out of wanting to take any credit for them. Uh, the idea is the more I've gotten into this path, the least I would ever want to take ownership over something that's coming so beautifully and it's connected to so many great beings throughout time that it seems impossible to even fathom. It's uncool. It's a fucking the ultimate uncool.
2: <laughs> and also, you know, the 12-step, my 12-step friends have some of the best quotes, as I'm sure you know. Mm. My friend says, ego is not your amigo. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, having a, a revenge fantasy towards somebody is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Absolutely
0: expectation is
2: premeditated resentment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it great to just set yourself up?
2: Letting go is hard. You know, that gesture. We worked so hard to get here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I'm thinking of like a little worm crawling up from the primordial ooze, and then now it's got a house. Mm-hmm. And where do you live? Where are you?
0: Oh, I'm in Ojai, California.
2: Now it's got a house in Ojai, and it's got a, you know, a nice girlfriend, and mm-hmm. it's got like a car, and it's got like... Give it all to me. Give it back. Yeah. Go, I, don't, I don't want it. Totally. I don't like it. You know? Yes, so yes. it's hard. Letting go is really hard. Yeah, it is. And, and letting go without a kind of trip that you make out of it. Yeah. Oh, look at how much I let go of. You know, look at it how it's profound. And we have so much more of it left to do.
0: My first bridge to Tibetan Buddhism was this guy uh, who was my sponsor, basically, in AA. Mm. And, oh, mm-hmm. and then he went and. At a certain point in his life, he thought his life was coming to an end. And so he, he, he went to Tibet and got snuck in. Uh, this very tall white man um, wow. got snuck in in minivans and hiding in the back and did not get stopped and met a uh, teacher, Lama Karwang, in a cave and lived with him for a month and then started bringing home the teachings to me. What he could. Wow. You know, there's a,
2: what a great story.
0: Yeah, it was amazing. And he also fell in love with Tibet and he wanted to rebuild it and rebuild some of the monasteries because he saw that they were just they were so happy with so little and with such devastation in a place where they can't even practice Tibetan Buddhism outwardly wow. so he started a nonprofit and started sneaking back cash in prayer wheels he would uh, wrap <laughs> up yeah it was a genius idea he 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 showed up with all this cash in china and, and he was like, how do I get this in? How do I do this? And he, he was at a shop and he saw the prayer wheels. He was like, it was a stroke of genius, you know, to wrap it all up. So he did and was successful in rebuilding a lot of monasteries. But um, when he passed away in 2015, he and I had had a, a falling out. And I loved this man. He was my first sort of object of devotion, even though he's a man, a broken man, an alcoholic, and, you know. But
2: you you had a falling out, did
0: you say? We had a falling out, yeah. When he was in Tibet, I borrowed money from his wife. When I was an immature, struggling musician, I borrowed money. I never paid it back. Okay. And so it caused a distance between he and I. Mm. And so when I finally heard that he's dying and we had had, I mean, this, this was like, he taught me everything about Tibetan Buddhism and he got me started on a practice and I just, I loved him so much and that I wasn't seeing him and that he was dying and I wasn't allowed to go by because there was still complicated um, emotions between us and he's in the disembodying uh, portion Mm -hmm. where he's just like only joy, no complications. Right, right, right. right, right. So I had to stay away. Mm. Um, and I was brokenhearted about this and, um, and i went to bed that night and i had a dream that he was in his hospital bed but in the middle of a field of like wheat at dusk and it was beautiful and like you know when the sun gets to a certain place and it's almost sunset and it was just filling up the wheat with all this gold you know and there was monks around my teacher in this field while he was connected to the tubes and everything and uh, um, deer were kneeling, and people were chanting. And I walked up, and he said something. And it was so beautiful what he said. Um, and it turned into a green orb. And then just like uh, the other dream, where the person put this thing in my head, he put this green thing in my head of what he said. And, and I woke up to the sound of a dish breaking in my sink. It was like it woke me up, and i um, I went back to sleep and actually, and actually was sitting with him again. But anyway, the next day, I don't know when he's going to die. And I'm feeling the heaviness of losing my teacher. And I wanted to figure out what he said. Like, what did he say and put in my head, you know? And I couldn't grasp it. So I went to work and I was working in a treatment center and it was a slow day. So they were like, hey, why don't you take, take this guy to an appointment? He's got a haircut. So I, Mm -hmm. I, I take the client into Santa Monica and we're walking down the street and my teacher, he taught me the ransom and release of animals. So we used to release crickets all over LA, Mm -hmm. you know, just hundreds of crickets you know, uh, throughout the years, just all over. And then, you know, you might hear crickets in the distance uh, and go, oh, I wonder if I contributed to that. I wonder if, you know, there's a little bit of this orchestra that's out there that I had something to do with. But, you know, you don't take ownership over that, but it's just a neat thing. But anyway, so this, I'm walking down the street with this client in Santa Monica, taking him to his haircut, and this girl comes running out of a building, this six-year-old girl, with her hands closed like this. And she opens her hand, it's a cricket. And I start crying just right on the spot. And I've never seen a girl run out of a building with a cricket in her hand before. Have you ever?
2: Or for that matter, run into a building with a cricket.
0: (laughs) Right. Have you even, yes. So she gives me the cricket and she says, do you want it? And I, and I saw that there was a park down the street and I was like, yes, sure. And I'm walking this cricket down the street, holding it in my hand. I finally get to the park and I go down by the grass and the cricket won't leave my hand Mm-hmm. it's staying there. I can pet the cricket. I'm petting it. I've never pet a cricket before. And it's alive, but it just is there. And it's almost going like, you have to let me go. You have to you have to shuffle me off your hand. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to go until you let me go. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my teacher was dying. And that's what mm-hmm. that was. It was like somehow he was connecting with me. Yeah. And so I got him off of my hand. And uh, I walked away from the park, and a couple hours later, I got the message that he had died. And something freed up. The heaviness freed up after he died. I don't know what it was like for you with Trump or Rinpoche when that happened, but when it finally happened, there was something that released in my chest. And uh, the next day, I was at work, and somebody said, Oh, I'm really sorry about your teacher. And I said, No, no, you know, actually, you know, it's kind of beautiful. Like, the person who taught me everything about letting go, I just had to let go of.
2: Uh, you know, it's all uh riding on water you know that's such a perfect it's a very moving story and thank you for sharing it and there's a a whole chapter in my book on tendril do you know the word tendril
0: yeah is that sort of synchronicity almost
2: yeah auspicious coincidence Mm -hmm. it's a big factor in for those of you who are out there listening to this you have to use your common sense you have to use your discernment you have to be use your critical intelligence you have you have to, I think, you know, you put some kind of um, nutcracker to open your heart a little bit more because we're all a little bit shut down that way. So it never hurts to open your heart a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But pay attention to tendril when coincidences like that happen. They're not always as obvious as that, as blaring, right? Um, but but you know, it is a hallmark of this particular matrix that we're in. It's mm. funny, if you remember the Matrix, the cat appeared twice, and that's the glitch in the Matrix that yes. makes you, oh, wait a minute, this is a fabricated reality. Right. When, so, when you see somebody twice or when you hear something twice or you know that somebody mentions it earlier in the day and somebody later on, uh, it's usually worth investigating further.
0: Yeah. The other day, Raghu told me about Badmash. Neem Karoli Baba used to call all of them, like, oh, you misfits, like Badmashi, uh, he, he called them. And Raghu was wearing this sweatshirt. It said the word, Badmash, that somebody had made him. And oh. and so I was exposed to this word. I loved it. And the next day, I was going to a concert in L.A., and we are looking for a restaurant. So we are like, oh, well, what's around the theater? <laughs> Badmash. Um, badmash is a restaurant i'm like wow this is crazy okay well we got to go there and we go in the address is 108
2: sometimes it's just like (laughs) a little you know what it's like when you fart underwater it just has this kind of like you know it's kind of it's it it has no implications really but it's kind of fun it's a funny part of the reality that we're in Mm. that it, it has synchronicity and it has kind of unexpected repeats like you know it's like music somebody composed music and oh, we're going to play that section again, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then it has a deceptive cadence going into a different ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also to track the footprints of like, you know, um, what should we do next, you mm-hmm. know? 108, are you doing any practice that requires 108 of anything right it's now? It's my
0: favorite number, I mean, for obvious Buddhist reasons. And um, I know it's not just within Buddhism, but the 108 lives and 108 beads on a mala.
2: 108. I'm just going to type in the number one o eight. We should get the AI involved. That's another topic. <laughs> and I'll just look. What's I wonder what the first thing comes up. Okay, one o eight is the atomic number of hassium. Huh. One o eight degrees Fahrenheit is the internal temperature at which the human body's vital organs begin to fail.
1: Wow. From
2: overheating. Wow. The distance of Earth from the Sun is about a hundred eight times the diameter of the Sun. And looking through there, let's let's see, let's see.
0: Um, By the way, that top one where the body's organs start to fail kind of links with Buddhism because it's like saying, this is where there's no self. (laughs) When you die,
2: you die at 108. So the 108 is a completion number. Right. It's also the last day of the Lunar New Year, and it's good to finish Mm. up, clean up, stuff like that. I have another appointment in about eight minutes. Okay,
0: let's do a conclusion.
2: You you have the kind of um, flow that it's old school, brother.
0: Thank you.
2: It's just like you know. Oh, is it really four in the morning now? You know, and uh, <laughs> how did that happen? You I heard know?
0: that that's what Harry Nilsson used to be like when he showed up at your house. You, you were like, oh, for the next three days, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but it's probably going to be fun.
2: Stevie Wonder had that kind of thing too.
0: No, I know you worked with work tell- for
2: three days in a row. You know, you know, if Tim Gimme and I are together, we stay up pretty late. Yeah. And if you get into a flow state, you know, like the fatigue drops, but you pay for it later. Yeah. It's a credit card. You know, you'll pay for it the day after, the next day after, if you're just kind of a normal person. But Trungpa Rinpoche, too, sometimes stayed up a lot going for days. So you have that kind of flow, and you're pursuing now, from where I sit, you're bridging, you know, this kind of modern conversation, this podcast, and for whatever reason, you've gotten very interested in the work of of Trungpa Rinpoche, and you're connecting up with, the, you know, the people who really actually spent a lot of time with him Mm -hmm. and did a lot of the work, around what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And that was quite a considerable group of people. I think people out there should know there are hundreds and hundreds of devoted students whose devotion probably most of them hasn't waned at all in 50 years, even 35 years after he's gone. Yeah. some of them I'm talking to feel like in the last three or four years, it's even more intensified that it's an important part of this lifetime for us. So we know we're leaving, you know, at some point yeah. uh, sooner than later yeah. and you want to complete, you know, whatever you can. Yeah. So I created Dharma which is a, a platform, and I'd like to invite people to come and look at it because I think of it as a contemporary iteration of all the things we've been talking about.
1: Yes, for sure.
2: Um, a lot of creatives, the ground thread is mindfulness and we have, you know, mindfulness meditation teacher training program that starts in the spring and one in the summer and one in the fall and then also deeper studies. But it's also taking shape as people like yourself and others begin to mix their creative juices with it. Yeah. So like we have a company in Japan, we've got people in Australia, Europe, at this point, I'm, I'm partly the soloist because I have to do a lot of the teaching, but there's other, we're training a lot of young teachers coming in. Wonderful. And I, my wish is to empower them, which is what Carolyn is doing with translators and editors and so forth, but to pass it along in a way that, um, I'll just tell you this one tiny anecdote that Larry Mermelson told me. They were in Boulder in the early days with Trunk mm-hmm. Rimptay, mm-hmm. and there's just a guy walking, they're in a cafe having a cup of coffee or something. The guy walks past the street and Rimptay just says, go get that guy. And, and they brought him inside and he came, Hello, I'm this person, that person. And it turned out to be the Lopan, the head of studies of his school.
0: Wow.
2: So there's some auspiciousness to all this. Yes, for sure. And, you know, and therefore I'm I'm meeting a lot of people. I was a cartoon character on Duncan Trussell's. A lot of people are coming because of that. Right. And I go like, good, that is tendril manifesting. Yes. You have nothing to do other than kind of appreciate the Leela of it. Mm -hmm. Be a sweet, good-hearted person. Yep. Make sure that you don't contribute as much as possible to the degradation and crapping out of any kind of values that are authentic and meaningful and that you take some chances and some risks with life because it's not always going to shape itself to you. Sometimes you have to take some, you know, play with the adventur adventuresome aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm i just like right now just sharing this with people. I'm just like opening the gates Beautiful. of my life to to. Really, whoever comes.
0: I'm doing the and, same.
2: And if they show up, that's that's good enough.
0: Absolutely. Please check out dharmamoon.com and everything that David's doing. But you guys already are, I think. I think a lot of the people that are here probably already even know about you and have listened to you. And Is there anything else that you're working on?
2: Well, I have that new record out that you mentioned, Pandemonia. It's a Dharma Moon orchestra. And we're not really promoting it heavily, but it's, it's very accessible. And it's a cool record. It's got... Randy Brecker on it and Julian Lodge playing on it. It's kind of my particular brand of instrumental, jazzy, poppy kind of stuff. It's great. We were and, dancing uh, to it
0: today in our bedroom. My partner and I were dancing in here prior to uh, "You're in My Sit." We were listening I'll to listen the record. To it? Yes, she even had her top off. So we really are recreating the '60s. <laughs> my
2: God!
0: Yeah, that happened just know. before this.
2: <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. <laughs>
0: well then i shouldn't tell you what else happened
2: (laughs) (laughs) but that is interesting that you um it it inspired you to to feel good and dance around it makes me feel good what i have is in there these days what i have is in there so i'm I'm trying to leave it on the field i've got a couple musicals i'm working on i'm just in a very creative phase teaching all the time online uh meeting as many people as i can who want to have playful but authentic conversations and maybe uh you know Develop a kind of edgy integrity. Mm-hmm. Love that.
0: Fuck yeah. Edgy integrity. What a nice lovely
2: you. uh you know, pleasure to just and thank you, Ragu, if you're out there anywhere listening too, because he's been a tremendous connector for all kinds of people like us.
0: For sure. So
2: yep. don't be a stranger. You know, I'm very easy to actually um to stay in touch with, and sometime we should talk about your music and what, what's going on now with, with what you're doing.
0: I would revel I'll, I'll in... I'll look into it on my own. I mm-hmm. barely scratched the surface with you, and what's missing is a hug for sure. I would just give you the biggest hug, man, if I was there. You know, I feel like you're my brother. We're not at complete eye level here. You know, I really have a lot of respect for the groundwork that you laid, and you kept this tradition going for us all to enjoy and inspire people like Duncan, who has inspired me, you know?
2: You know, that's when the tribal fires can get lit and people can recognize their connectivity with other people of like mind and and then hopefully expand out. There's a lot of warfare right now that feels very useless to me.
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: And it's not even good warfare. We're like, oh, we're fighting over, you know, uh, it's just stupid aggression and ignorant and, yeah. and um, greedy. And I, I, I don't know what the solution is. I just think... Planting some positive seeds is a good thing,
0: though. It's funny you say that because I think that uh, that's what I feel is happening right now, is that there's a second batch of seed planting from Trump or Rinpoche, um, the original in 70, but now it's getting planted again. And I really feel that. And I feel I'm a part um, of that. And I feel Duncan's hey, a part of that. And well, anybody who's listening to this and getting inspired by it is a part of that. But it's happening. Do you, do you think that's possible?
2: It, there seems to be something like that happening. It's going to only be transplanted by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band coming I mean, back live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that band. Oh, I got to go, though. Yeah,
2: thank you. Thank let's you. continue, though. Let's, okay. let's make sure that we stay in touch. Okay, okay perfect. Thank, thank you. Thank you. On the Take care.
1: Another day slides on by.